You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and stand as we worship Jesus this morning.
Oh my gosh, I love watching this. Okay, I know I'm the one that told you to say hello, but now we gotta pull it back together, people. So good. Um, so you can go ahead and have a seat. I wanna give you a little more information before we continue our day. Um, and I know I just mentioned our Facebook group. If you are not a part of that community, we would love for you to jump on there, interact with us throughout the week. It's, we do some silly stuff, but we also put some great content there. So the way you can do that is to jump to this link here, kchur.ch slash Orion. Takes you right to the group. Join us and uh, let us know you came and hung out with us. Even post a picture of yourself there too. It's okay. There's not a lot of rules. Um, but some things that are going on around this place, we have an awesome event coming up called our Hope Water Project Gala. Um, who's been a part of Hope Water Project in the past? Anybody out there? Yes. I love it. Okay, walkers. Where are my walkers? Do we have walkers out there? Runners? Yes. Bikers? What about you crazy swimming people? Any of you? Nice. Um, for those of you that are new, Hope Water Project is an amazing organization that Kensington um, started years back, and it is groups of people that walk, run, swim, or if you're like me, you jog and you skip and you pray you make it to the finish line. Um, but what they do is they raise money to put in wells in Kenya. They have put in dozens of wells over the years that Hope Water Project has been around. And there have been dozens and dozens of mission trips that have gone to support this initiative as well. So we're doing something new this time to help bring awareness and raise money uh, for Hope Water Project. And we are doing a gala right here at Orient Campus. I feel like I should be in a beaded gown along with my running shoes but they wouldn't let me do that today. Um, but it's really gonna be a big deal. You get to dress up, be fancy, there's gonna be a beautiful meal, there's gonna be some amazing speakers, some great music, and the gal who's putting this together this year is doing a phenomenal job. So we'd love for you to come and be a part of that and support that organization. Another thing we want to be you to be aware of as we start 2022, we are getting ready to kick off all of our winter groups. So everything from small groups to courses to all of our care classes, this includes everything from Alpha and Bible Basics, blended family workshops. There are a million things that I could call out right now. And I know just right there, you guys got a taste of getting to know somebody by name. That's what happens in those groups. You get to know the people at those tables. You get to know the people that whose homes you're walking into. And sure enough, you'll probably know their favorite ice cream flavor by the end of your time together. Another thing we're doing here at Orion, um, this year, which is a little different, we're doing something on Sunday morning called Learning Labs. So if a night during the week or a time during the day during the week doesn't work for you, Sunday mornings, come to the 9 a.m. service, then jump into a Learning Lab at 11 a.m. and be a part of that community. So there are so many options. Kensingtonchurch.org groups is where you find all of it. Come out, out to the hub, have a conversation with us. We'd love to get you connected um, because we're so glad that you're here and you're joining us in person for services or online because there are online opportunities as well. But I know a lot of you are here looking for something a little deeper, diving in deeper with Jesus. We get a taste of that here on a Sunday morning or online on a Sunday morning, but the true growth and the true depth of what Christ has for you happens in those groups and the connections that you make there. So I really pray that you'll jump in and see what that looks like. So we're gonna continue our day. This amazing team behind me has a beautiful song that they've put together. It's called Seasons. And so sit in this as we continue to worship together. Glad you're here. So if you guys are anything like me, um, 
There's, oh, I started the song too soon, didn't I? I didn't tell them I was going to say something right now. But uh, if you're anything like me, uh, raise your hand if, in here if you are the kind of person who doesn't like to wait. Anybody else? Because that's me. Like, I don't like to wait for anything. Like, I just want to get to where I'm going. And I always want to just get to where uh, I feel like I've arrived. And something God keeps teaching me constantly is that that's never going to happen. I'm never going to have arrived where I'm going. I'm always going to keep on chasing after him in this journey. And, um, something that I feel like he's been teaching me lately uh, is we're getting ready. Uh, some of you guys know, uh, if you've been here for a while, you know that I'm a farmer as well as a worship leader. And something that he's been teaching me is we're getting ready to get to our season um, and uh, start planting all our seeds and everything is the waiting and the growing part of the season is, is the most important part of it. You, the, the miracle of what he's doing with the seed in that soil is no less significant and no less purposeful than what he's doing with the full-grown plant. And that has been a lesson for me that has been really helpful because it allows me to let him work in the season of waiting rather than just, rather than just trying to get to where I'm going. It allows me to, uh, to actually visibly see what he's doing and, and be content in that because I know he's growing me. And this song reminded me of that this morning when I was singing it. Um, that it's a beautiful moment when we get to sit and just watch God do his work in us in the waiting.
singing Pig Farmer I've ever heard. It's good. I think I lost my voice just listening. Jeez. I, uh, I love, too, that particularly Matthias led us on that as our worship director and leader here, being a farmer and having a unique understanding of seasons, because that's what we're going to talk about today, is what, what do we do when God is the farmer leading our lives through seasons of change? Before we jump into that, I want to go back to something Kim was talking about a minute ago with the Hope Gala. So this is this was her thing, but I'm going to jump on board. Uh, I had the opportunity to actually go to Kenya, Africa back in October. First time I've been able to do that since I've been a part of Kensington. And being there in firsthand, seeing the difference that water makes when you bring it into a community that has not had either water or clean water is unbelievable. I would assume that we could all conceptually get that. I could before the trip, but when I went there and I physically saw the effect of a community that has no water, like physically, even the skin is dry, cracked, uh, the sickness, the emotional difference versus some of the communities we have been uh, fortunate to be able to put wells and water into and the vibrancy, the health, the life the change of community. We, we went around to a number of different places where we put wells. Uh, we did some updates to some of them. We also went to a few places where there are no wells yet to explore the possibility of different opportunities in different regions. And in all the places where we had already put a well, one of the things we did, because people would always gather. I mean, we're a group of white people from the States that show up. That's just, it's a weird thing. And so everybody would just show up and whole villages would turn out. And so it gave us the opportunity to just talk with people and we would ask a lot of the same questions. But one of them was, tell us the difference from when you had no water to what life and community is like now. And I'll never forget this one villager in, the group of the elders that were there, uh, they kind of turned to themselves, they murmured for a minute, and then they turned to us and they started sharing uh, the lack of 
death that they're seeing, the health in their kids, the ability to erect a school because you don't have to do this constant jog all day long for miles to go find water. So now your kids can go to school. And there was this one point where one of the guys, uh, very stern and very serious, he just looked at all of us and he said, this is all through a translator, that since they've gotten water, the features of the women have improved. And the guy that was with me on the trip turned to me and he goes, I think he just said the women got better because they're drinking water and look prettier. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not touching that one. That's what he said though. But it was just amazing. And then there was other stories of being there in places that didn't have water. And we sat uh, in one community where I watched a mom feed her probably four or five-year-old son this cup of absolutely nasty, vile water that she knows as a mom is harming her kid. But she has no choice. I sat in another village where a pregnant mom sat in a dry riverbed and just dug with her hands trying to find any remnant of water still running underneath the surface. When we're, when we're doing these kind of things like the Hope Water Gala, it's because it's really making a difference. It just, it's, it's ridiculous to me that there's anybody that still has to wonder where to get something to drink. And we have been fortunate over years to be able to make a big difference, but not big enough. And so I just want to kind of double up with Kim and say, if you can do anything, if you can attend the gala, go to the gala. If you can't attend it, support it. You might go, well, how much do I support it? Somebody asked me recently, how much should I give if I can only give? And here's my honest answer. And I'm asking this, my wife and I, we're trying to figure out what we're going to do as well. How much would you want somebody to give if you didn't know where to get water for you and your family? So we can make a bigger difference than we are. And it's not lost either on me that Jesus describes himself as living water. And we have the chance as the ambassadors of Christ to bring the hope of the gospel and water to communities, some of which have never had either. So let's keep making a difference and changing the world in places that have long needed it. So, all right, we're gonna jump into a series this morning, second week of which I want, um, I want to put the words of that song we just sang back up. So I think they're so poignant to some of what we need to talk about today. Though the winter is long, even richer the harvest it brings. And though my waiting prolongs, and though my waiting prolongs, sometimes it does feel like that, doesn't it? Like it just keeps prolonging and prolonging, even greater your promise for me like a seed. And I believe my season will come. It's a place in the Bible written by a man named Solomon. Ecclesiastes is the book, chapter three. Solomon writes about the idea of seasons of life. And I want to read this for a minute to kind of give us some direction for the morning. Here's what I'd love to ask you to do, which I think I've only asked a few times since I've been here, but would you just do this with me? Would you just stand as we read this? Just stand as a way to impart, say, God, help us understand these words. Impart to just say, God, we're open to what you have for us. Even in part for some of us that aren't sure that there is a God to say, if you are, then appear, reveal, speak. Uh, even if you're online uh, watching with us right now, go ahead and stand up. If you're in your room, stand up. If you're in the kitchen, stand up. If you're listening to this days later and you're driving on the highway, please don't stand up. Here we go. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1. There's a time for everything and a season for which every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. 
A time to scatter stone and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. And then if we skip down to verse 11, Solomon says, He, being God, has made everything beautiful in its time. If you'll stay standing, I just want to pray that he will make something beautiful out of our time. Father, I just want to acknowledge that I do believe, as do many of us here, that you are the God who is the creator of seasons. That the book of Genesis that records a moment when you breathed into nothing and created everything is not poetic, it is literal, it happened. You are the God of creation. When the sun rises and when the sun sets, when clouds move, all of it is because of the initiation of your authoritative voice that said, let it be. And it's that same voice that initiates change and seasons in our own life. And God, I pray that you would give us the ability to lean into an account of a time with your people so long removed from our lives that it can sometimes be difficult to understand what the point is for us. And so would you grace us with the ability to understand through your Holy Spirit what it is you would have us to know about you, about us, about us with you. To know about your authority that still creates change and moves from season to season. And to trust that in the end, you who are the God who created all things are the one who creates all things still in us. Thanks that you're with us. Thanks that you can be understood. Make yourself knowable and understood, I pray. To us this morning, in Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. I would, uh, I want to pause for a minute before we jump into our text and just thank all of you that are a part of helping us accomplish all that we do. Uh, one of the, honestly, one of the greatest privileges for my wife, Nicole, and I and our three kids is to be able to partner up with Kensington and all the things that we accomplish locally and globally. And we do that in moments like we're going to have right now. We receive up our offerings. So if you're a part of this and you do this regularly, you know how to do it. You've got your rhythm and routine. If you're not, we'd love to invite you to join us. We are very serious, not about money, but the mission of the kingdom of God and trying to make a difference with everything we can. Sometimes that's our time. Sometimes it's our words. Sometimes it's our belongings. So love to invite you to be a part of it. Here's all the ways. And thank you for all your generosity that gets it done. All right, so as Solomon talks about seasons and the changing of seasons, there is no denying that uh, this is a unique time of year that we are in a season uh, that makes us all wonder why in the world we live in Michigan. When in the morning you're scraping ice and snow off of your car. Anybody at that point in life yet where they're like, why do we still live here? We were in Colorado this last summer. Really? Only like three of you. Wow. First service hated Michigan. Way to go, Michigan. We love the mitten in the second service, apparently. But, I, but let's just be honest. It's still a time of year where you're like, I could do without this much cold and this much snow. When you go to start your car and it won't start because you don't have enough gas. Did we even know that was a thing when car starters came out? What do you mean it won't start? Do you remember car starters when it first came out, by the way? It was, like, it was like a novelty. You had to go somewhere else and buy it. Then you had to take it to the mechanic and you haven't had, had to have it installed. Now if you go to lease a car and they're like, yeah, this one doesn't come with a car starter. You're like, I'm out, forget it, can't do it. Like, we're so spoiled. 
But this time of year when we're scraping ice and snow, where we're starting a car, the car won't start. You're like, dude, I don't have a car starter. You're climbing into an ice box to get to work. Good old winter in the mitten. But here's what's funny is that almost everybody, and I've known a lot over the years that has moved out of Michigan that grew up here, almost always misses the same thing. Any guesses? The seasons. Not necessarily winter, but still even the transfer into it. Like initially, it's beautiful when the snow falls. It's just when it doesn't go away fast enough. And nobody really cares either about spring. We love the newness of spring. But in my house, all spring is, ultimately, it's muddy dog feet. That's the month of muddy dog feet month. And so, but we love the change of seasons. There is something so refreshing and beautiful when the seasons go through their change. That's not always true about life. I mean, there's things in our lives that we don't necessarily like to change, some small, some big. Uh, any Starbucks fans in the room or online with us? Uh, Cinnamon Dolce, anybody? That was my favorite Starbucks drink. It's all I would ever order. I'm a creature of having a routine when it comes to my food. I like Cinnamon Dolce, that's all I wanted. And it's one of the few ones that they make friendly for a diabetic. So I go there one day, I'm like, Cinnamon Dolce, please. They're like, oh, we don't have it. You're out of it? No, we actually don't have it. What do you mean you don't have it? It's discontinued. My wife's sitting next to me, she's like, stop arguing with the lady. I'm like, no, 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 hold on, there's a, some, there's a problem. I'm like, so when will you have it again? She's like, sir, discontinued. I'm like, at this location or every location? Every location, sir. I'm like, well, what else do you have? She's like, a whole menu of things. Would you please order? So I get around to the window, and I'm still like, hold on, can you explain this to me? Did you guys ask people? Like, did people not order this? Or was it my wife's like, honey, you're right. They probably should have checked with you before they took it off the menu. I'm like, doesn't matter. Like, why did they remove it? But we hate when things in our life change. Seasons are great, but not so much life. But then what about the moments in life where it's not just a first world problem like coffee? Or it's not just the beauty of, of summer moving into winter. What about when it's a massive season of change in your life? What do we do then? There's this lesson that I really believe God has been trying to teach me for the last couple of years, which has frankly been some of the biggest seasons of change, or biggest maybe, that I've gone through possibly ever. And I think what he's been trying to teach me comes directly out of what Solomon concluded with. I want to put it back up on the screen again. At the end of all of these different times for and not for, Solomon says, almost in a conclusion, an umbrella over it all, that he has made everything beautiful in its time. That somehow, no matter what it is that God leads us through in the change of any season, his ultimate work is to make it beautiful in his time. The lesson that I really feel like God has been trying to teach me in the last couple of years of massive amounts of change in mine and my family's life has been essentially this. It's time for the beauty of a new season. And I just wonder if that isn't true for some of us. Matter of fact, I'm going to even ask you this morning to help me give the message a little bit before I give the message. Would you just humor me and say this out loud with me? You ready? If you feel more comfortable looking at somebody next to you and so speaking into the air, go ahead and do that. Just say this. There is beauty in the changing of my seasons. We've been looking at the story of the nation of Israel uh, when they had come out of captivity in the land of Egypt on a promise that God had made them long before that to eventually take them to a place of their own, to make them a people of their own, uh, a community and a land of their own. And so they have begun this 
journey. And one of the things you have to always be careful to do with the Bible and the accounts in it is not apply everything to us because every aspect of every account in the Bible doesn't apply to our lives. And that's true about this one. But there are several aspects of this account that do and does apply to our life here today. And I think one of them is this, that when God takes us on any journey in life, no matter how big or how small, it almost always includes some moment of difficult change. Because when God is trying to place something new into your hands, it almost always requires that he takes something old out of them. And so I think as I look at my life, probably like many of you, I can see different times in life that have been huge seasons of change. Probably before this last couple of years, it would have been my first few years leaving from high school and leaving the house and going off to college. I grew up the oldest of seven kids. And the minute I graduated high school, my dad started talking about paying rent to live at home. I'm like, duh, I'm out. If I'm going to pay rent, it's not to stay here. So, I mean, we had literally seven kids, mom, dad. We had a myriad of animals that basically made up a zoo. And we had one bathroom and three bedrooms. So I was quickly deciding I'm going to find my own place. Love you guys. So I immediately, a couple weeks after high school, I move out, go to college. I walk in, very first day, very first class, English 101. And I see Nicole across the room. I'm like, I'm going to get to know her. Thankfully, a couple weeks into the class... My professor paired her and I up together to grade each other's papers that we had been given all the instruction in the weeks prior on how to write. And so I got her paper. I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. This is definitely a sign from God that this is my future right here. She got an A. I, don't even, I literally don't think I've read it. I, mean, I think I've told this before. I put an A on it. I give it back to her the day that we meet. I was so excited to go first. I'm like, here you go. It was beautiful. It was awesome. She's like, what do you love about it? Everything. And then she turns it around. She hands me mine. It's got an F. And she proceeds to tell me that it was the worst thing she'd ever read in her life and question if I even graduated high school. I was like, what? So very quickly, I went from wanting to get to know her to wanting to unknow her. There was a big change. But then I still fell in love with her. We ended up getting married in college in between our second and third year. I mean, that, that whole season of life was just a massive amount of change. The last couple of years have had no less change in them. Still married, so that we didn't get remarried, but we did hit a milestone, 25 years of marriage. We also, in the last couple of years, uh, we have moved into the realm of all of our kids being teenagers. We have three of them. Uh, we have one of them that we have uh, graduated out of high school into college and on his way in life. Uh, we left the church that we started and led for 13 years, moved over to Kensington, started at one campus over on the east side, was there almost a year, then God stirred something and led us here to be a part of this community where we've been for a little over a year now. It's just been, I look at those two times in my life, and you could look at your own as well at different points, and I just know those were massive seasons of change. And here's what's true about massive seasons of change. At least for me, it's been true. There are parts of them that I welcome with open arms, and there are other parts that I fight with both fists. Because wherever you fall on the spectrum of change, because some of us embrace it easier than others, here's what I think, at least at the onset of any change, is probably true for the majority of us. We hate it. As a matter of fact, I read an article in Forbes recently that was talking about change, and it started with work. And it said, when you're at work, it said the average person, 50% of us, wishes that everything would just stay the same. We're good with how things are, and we don't want or like any kind of change in our jobs. Here's what was also interesting about that same article. Further on, it said that about 80% of us don't like our jobs. <laughs> so here's what's, here's what's actually sobering about that. It means that so many of us, a high percentage of us, are so 
disrupted by change, that we would rather choose a job we don't like than the change that could lead us to a better one. And then when you take change outside of the realm of work and you put it into our personal lives, here's what's fascinating. The statistic of people who just want things to stay the same goes from 50% to almost 90. I think that's easily said the overwhelming majority of us prefer things just to stay the same. My biggest fear in the area I wanted the least amount of change, this is so weird, but growing up was getting older. And I think it was because when I was about 10 years old, my dad's best friend was turning 30 and they threw him a surprise birthday party at our house. I don't know why this is what happened to me or why I thought this way, but I will never forget during that party thinking, wow, 30 is like ancient. (laughs) And then I had this thought and it plagued me for years. If I don't accomplish everything in life worth accomplishing by the time I turn 30, loser. Like I've just failed at life. So when I started approaching 30, I was genuinely panicking. I'm like, what have I done? What? And then I was just like, I guess everything after 30 is borrowed time. I'm just a loser taking up space. So my wife, at one point she's like, honey, you need counseling. So, so a couple of years ago, my son and I, uh, we, we took a mission trip together to Cuba. And on the way back, somebody introduced us to this face app that takes your picture and then shows you what the old you would look like. I, I was getting sweats as everybody in our group is doing, oh, look at me, ah! They're like, you should do it. I'm like, I can't. This is like one of my biggest fears of change ever. But I ended up doing it. And this is what apparently old me is gonna look like one day. <laughs> All right, some of you had a nice reaction. Some of you, I was a little cruel. Your <laughs> was a little mean there. I think I look kind of like some biker, ganger, wannabeer thing. Here's a super funny, I didn't have a beard when I took that picture. Apparently the face app was like, ah, this guy's got turkey neck, put a beard on him. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I'm gonna, I'm just, I'm starting to work early. So, but I, I literally had a season of life where I was terrified of the change. You can take it down now. It doesn't have to stay up all summer. <laughs> I seriously had a season of life where I was just terrified about getting older and whatever change that would bring. And for some of you, maybe even right now, you have gone through a season of massive change in the last couple years, the last year, the last weeks. Maybe you're sitting still in the repercussions of a massive change. Maybe there's one on the horizon that either you see or you don't see yet. So let's go to Exodus where God leads his people through a couple of different seasons of massive change and what it is I think he was trying to teach both them and us. Exodus 16 is where we're going to be this morning. If you were with us last week, you might remember we started in Exodus 33. Think, wait a minute, if we're journeying with the Israelites, why are we going backwards? Uh, We're going backwards because you know as well as I do that the things we learn in life are learned off of the seasons prior. And so what we looked at last week was a moment where Moses, in many ways, is kind of getting it in his pursuit of God, where his whole request of God was not for more from him, but more of him. But much of what I think got Moses to a better place of making healthier requests of understanding what God made him for, what was best a request of God, occurs in the months and years even prior as God grooms him and grows him and all of Israel together. So here's what we read, verse 1 of chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, 
And remember, this is a group of people that had been begging for rescue. That at the onset of Moses and the whole, let my people go, like there was enthusiasm, there was excitement, there was, there was the belief that God was fulfilling his promise. And so this wasn't even just a good thing, like this was a spiritual, supernatural thing. And now here we are, we're only a couple weeks in. This isn't long into the journey. And a couple weeks in, they're going, I wish we would have just stayed there. There we sat around with pots of meat and we ate all the food that we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. It's amazing to me how quickly in life, maybe you're the same, I'll say I can instead of we can, that I can move from a place of being thankful for something God did to just now shifting to what he hasn't done yet for me and complaining. And something that I once asked him to do, now I just either start to resent it or I forget that he actually did it and came through and I just start putting all of my frustration on what he hasn't done for me yet. And you might go, yeah, but I mean, this is food. Right? This is not any small thing. I mean, they're hungry, they've got no food, even only weeks in, you can't go too long without food. So it's kind of a big deal. And it is. I mean, there's few motivators in life like food. Anybody else in here struggle with hanger issues? Yeah, I have massive hanger issues. My kids constantly remind me, Dad, you have hanger issues. You need to go to therapy for them. I will, I will seriously, certain days, if it gets bad enough, I will fight an army for a Skittle. My daughter asked me once in the middle of a hanger fit. She's like, Dad, you're acting like you'd get rid of it. Would you sell us for food? I was like, sweetheart, do not ask that at this moment. That's <laughs> a bad time to ask this. But this is that moment for the Israelites where it feels to them as if God's not coming through on what it is that he's doing, but instead what God is doing is he's leading them through a season of change and transition and redirection. All of the journey that God has Israel on right now is about leading them through change that's ultimately about redirection. Change that will redirect their sense of hope, that will redirect their joy, that will redirect their focus, that will redirect their worship, that will ultimately even redirect where it is that they call home. And here's what I know is true about Israel and us, because it's a human reality. When God tries to work in our life, and when he's trying to lead us into new seasons, it will be with elements of and moments of change that are ultimately about redirecting us as well, about creating new direction in our lives, maybe also creating new direction in where we place our hope, where we place our worship, where we place our affection, where we place our trust. And I also know this, you cannot receive new direction from God while you're clinging to old expectations. And that's what Israel's doing. God's going, I've got a new direction for you. And they're going, we wish we were back in Egypt. Maybe there. We had these big old pots. They were full of meat. I mean, it was good. It was, you don't remember how much you hated it? You actually begged me to get you out of there. It's amazing how much we can romanticize the good old days that weren't actually the good old days so much. And this is what Israel's doing. They're clinging to old expectations so hard that even in the midst of a journey that God in physical, visible form is leading them, they can't receive the direction while they cling to the old expectation. So God begins to provide for them. Obviously, they do need to eat, and God's going to show himself faithful to his promise. So here's what happens next. Back to Exodus 16. Verse 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. And the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. And this way I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. 
and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Skip over to verse 13. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost appeared on the ground in the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? But they did not know what it was. You guys know what it is, right? What's the word we call it? Manna. It's called manna, which literally just translates into, what is it? Not super creative, but very clear. As they look at it, they're like, what is it? I don't know what it is. You try it. Get Mikey. He'll try it. And so they start to gather it up. And even though we don't know a lot from the Bible about exactly what the what was it was, we do know a few things. We know, according to the scriptures, that it had a sweet honey-like taste. We know that it came in small flakes and forms, almost like coriander seed that could be put together, that could be crushed, that could be baked. Maybe if they were from the good old southern U.S. of A., they would have wrapped it in bacon and batter and deep fried it, but they baked it. We know that it was apparently super healthy. There's an account in Deuteronomy that says Moses, who led this community at 120 years old, hadn't lost his sight or his strength. We also know that for the next 40 years, it will be this along with quail that will sustain an entire nation of people. So that's not just what is it. That's a lot of what is it. As a matter of fact, some scholars believe that if you put together the population growth, the rate of being there for 40 years, uh, the amount of what people would have needed to eat, some people put the estimate about how much was gathered on a daily basis at near 9 million pounds. That is a, that is a ton of what is it that over 40 years the people are consuming and relying on. And here's what I know happens. When we start to either experience something in large amounts over lo- or over large quantities of time, one of two things usually take place. Either we begin to grow frustrated with it and irritated with it, familiarity breeds contempt, or we grow so accustomed to it that we couldn't imagine doing something else or living any other way or receiving, even if it's with God, receiving anything different. I mean, that's why I think for all of us, we're just, we tend to be creatures of habit. Some of you, maybe you're, you're not the norm, but I think the norm is to be more of a creature of habit. We like what we like. We do what we're used to. We don't like to try new things. When we find something we enjoy, whether it's a habit, a behavior, a food, we don't use, you want to change it or believe that there could be something as good or even better. We do the same thing even with God. Even in the church world, we do the same thing. But how many of you guys do this? When you're going to your favorite restaurant, you tell yourself literally on the drive, okay, this time I'm totally trying something new. And then you get there, and what do you do? You order the same dang thing. You don't try anything new. That's me. Like, I'm a total creature of habit with my food. Salvatore Scalapini, it's one of my favorite restaurants. Every time I go there, pasta pepperoni. Every time I'm on my way there, I'm going to get something new, and I never do. Or even here. That's why some of you, Matthias, our worship leader, anybody notice a change with him? Yeah, his hat. What's up with the hat, dude? I don't think any of us gave you permission to stop wearing a hat. If, if you don't know, there's hat, Matthias. And then the, then the other one is just this morning. Those are his stretching routines as he gets ready. Who knew that he was hiding a man bun under that hat? None of us. Please put the hat back on. But there's this change that we don't know how to step into when it breaks the pattern of what we've been accustomed to. And that's true with what we eat. It's true with how we dress. It's even true in our churches and in our pursuit of Jesus. It's true spiritually. Ralph Waldo Waldo Emerson once said this, don't go where the path may lead. Instead, go where there is no path 
and leave a trail. The nation of Israel has been going where there is no path, and God has been blazing the trail for them. For 40 years, we're going to skip into the future. Get, get ahead of me if you can in your Bible to the book of Joshua, chapter 5. For 40 years, God leads this people, blazes a trail, feeds them, directs them, comforts them, fights for them. And then 40 years into this, after they have gotten accustomed to living a certain way, to having certain resources, to the manna, to the quail, God again leads them through a season of change and adjustment. Here's what we read. Chapter 5, verse 10. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal, on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after the Passover... That very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after. The day after they ate this food from the land, there was no longer any manna for the Israelites. Now watch this. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. There are times in life that I think we go through change that just is life. I would never say that all change we go through is God. There's some people that believe that. Some people believe that everything that we go through and every bit of change is either God orchestrated or God allowed. I think some change is just the reality of being alive. And then there's other change, and you know this as well as I do. It's us. It's the product of things that we have done or decisions we have made, and then we either blame God or, or we just even give the credit over to him. And I think sometimes God's like, nope, that one's all on you. Didn't do that one. But there are times when there is change that comes into our life that is either God instructed or God allowed. Like he is behind it. And this is one of those moments. Like God is the one who stopped the manna. The Israelites didn't ask for this. They didn't choose this. But there was a clear moment where that manna on God's instruction, so much as when it fell, stopped falling. There was a moment that God chose that. And I'm convinced that probably for most of us, there will be some form of change in front of us, maybe this year, maybe in the years to come that will occur in your life, that will be a moment of God saying, I gave this manna, now I'm removing it because I want to take you to Canaan. And maybe that'll even be true for us as a church, that there will be ways that in this next year or years that God will say, even of things he has done or provided, it was for that season, but I'm taking you into a new season and where I taught you once to eat manna, now I'm going to teach you how to live in Canaan. It's time for a change. There's a couple of things I want us to remember about moments where we go through change, especially those moments where you have a sense that God is doing this and it's not just you, it's not just a random reality of life but there's this sense that I think God is behind this. I think he's inviting me into this. I think he's pushing me into a moment of change. And the first is this. God's changes in our life are ultimately and fundamentally at the core for our growth. God's changes are for our growth. When you think about the fact that the Israelites spent 40 years in the desert, that means that there was an entire generation of people that grew up that are presently in their 20s, 30s, maybe even in their 40s that have grown up believing that this bread from the heavens is normal. Like to them, this is just, this is how it goes. This is the way it works. For them, the thought of not having that, they can't even imagine. Like, could you imagine something in your own life right now that would just dry up and be done and gone tomorrow? I was literally trying to think about this all week. 
we all have so many different interests and so many different tastes. And I was thinking, what's, what's the one common? Pizza. Who don't like pizza? Probably occupies way too many dinner nights, but pizza. Like, could you imagine if tomorrow pizza just didn't exist anymore? It was gone. Couldn't find it anywhere ever again. I mean, Sam Anderson would need counseling. Dude's got a piece of pizza tattooed on his left arm. Left arm, right? I've paid way too much attention to that, trying to understand you. But it was like, what would you do? I mean, this is you're like, there's a whole nation with an entire generation that has only ever known this bread falling from the sky. Here's what that means. What they don't know is how to produce their own crops. I think part of what God is doing in this moment is he removes the manna and begins to push them into a land of their own. Remember, a land of resource flowing with milk and honey. There's water, there's vegetation. It's not a desert anymore, which means this is a place you can grow crops. Previously, they weren't able to and they didn't know how to. Why? Because God provided manna for them. Part of the withdrawal of the manna is pushing the people into a place and season in life where they have to move from being consumers to producers. I think part of the, the reality when God pushes us or invites us into seasons of change that are for our growth is to lead us spiritually to be more about producing than consuming. If what we read in the scriptures are true, that there is a God over all creation that when once asked, what is the greatest way you want us to live? And he says this, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus taught us to pray and said things like pray this way, that my kingdom come now, like do you think that it's possible that part of God's work in us is to constantly develop and grow us to be people that go, that people that are more producers for the kingdom of God than just consumers? There's analogies all throughout the Bible about our spiritual journey, and one of which uh, we read in the New Testament refers to us early on as spiritual infants. And there's just the truth that as we are infants spiritually, we do more consuming. But over time, God invites us to be, just like when we grow naturally and physically, to be producers for his kingdom instead of just consumers. I think part of God's work to grow us is that work. To say, be who I made you to be. Do what I made you to do. And that's not just to consume. It is to produce for the kingdom. But I also know this. I know that becoming is a lot more difficult than being. And some of us would just choose to be. I'll just be in the desert. I'll just be dependent on what you've done in the past. And yet God's invitation is, no, 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 no. I'm asking you to become more who I made you to be. To become more what I made you to do. That doesn't happen without him leading us through seasons of change. And so I would just say, whatever change God pulls you into, say yes, because it will be for your good growth. When God says, take the step into the new season, trust him. When he takes away the manna that you go, I, I couldn't have imagined you taking that away. Why did you change that? Instead go, when he did it for them, he took them to Canaan. I don't know what my Canaan will be, but I know who my God is, and I'm going to go. I also know this. When God leads us through seasons of change, next one on your screen, it's to undo complacency in our lives. It's so easy sometimes to get used to things that you maybe wouldn't have even imagined that you would have ever been used to. Sometimes it's just silly things, like not finishing a piece of drywall, a hole in the wall, a 
piece of molding. I have, in my backyard, I've got these three stones. We've lived in this house 14 years. They're outside the garden. They make no sense. They're completely random. I have no idea why they're there. They're kind of like stepping stones. But two of them are cracked completely in half and starting to sink into the ground. So I'm not kidding. I can't tell you how many times throughout the summer particularly I walk outside and I stub my toe. I've busted my toe open in flip-flops. And every single end of the year in the fall, when I'm starting to put everything away just before the winter, and I'm like, I'm taking those things out in the spring. And then the spring comes and I'm like, eh. And I don't take them out. And I've just gotten used to them. And I did the same thing this fall. I'm like, you're gone in the spring. Now, in the spring, they'll probably just stay there because I've just gotten used to it. Not now because I'm, I'm convicting myself. They're going to go. But we just get used to so many things. And there are things in your spiritual journey that maybe you've gotten used to. There are things in your life that maybe you've become complacent with. Perhaps there's things in our church that we become complacent with. And God's going, the change is to wake you up out of your complacency. Because I know spiritually one of the things complacency does in my life is it leads me to put my trust in the wrong things. The Israelites could have easily just put all their trust in what God did for them instead of who God was for them. And what God had happened in the past instead of what he had planned for the future. They did it all the time, actually. That's why what we looked at last week was so significant about where we had to start the series. When when God comes to Moses and he says, all right, listen, the people are being complainers. They're being stiff-necked. So here's the deal. I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to give you everything I said, but I'm not going. And then Moses says, whoa, 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 whoa. If you don't go, don't send us. And the reality, the part of what Moses had gotten to at that point in his life was realizing that the greatest thing he could ask for from God was more of him, not more from him. But sometimes the longer we stay complacent in our spiritual journey, we learn to put our trust in what God has done for us than what he has planned to do for us and what God has provided than who he is. And I just know in my own life, there have been times that the change God has led me through has broken me out of my complacency and redirected my trust. Last thing I'd say about change and how God works in it would just simply be this. I think God's changes are about fulfilling his purposes in you. I think God really does have specific purposes for you that are different than your neighbor, that are different than your spouse. They are part of the uniqueness of how he has put his thumbprint into you. And part of the change when he takes you through it is to continue to bear that out in who you are, to fulfill his purposes in you, through you. I mean, this whole journey with the Israelites, the purpose of it ultimately was to get them to a land of their own, to a place of their own. And yet how easily through complacency could they have just decided to stay in the desert? The reason that they finally started moving in part into Canaan was because God stopped the manna. You cannot miss in this story that it was the absence of the manna that produced the opportunity for Canaan. And I think so often in our own lives when God leads us through a season of change, part of the reason for that change is to say, I have a work in you that I am still trying to accomplish and purpose that he's still trying to bring to bear. I'm going to show you as our band makes the way out one more picture this morning. It was a moment of some of my biggest change. But it's a, it's a weird moment because it's also, it was a very simple, quiet, nobody else was there, so it was lonely. It was very unceremonious. But this was my last day at the church I had started and been at for 13 years. Our offices were on the upper floor. And once I walked down those stairs, I'd be moving out the front door. And there was just a sense as I stood there on my last day and I stood at that threshold 
that I just knew that I had no idea what was on the other side of those stairs. I did know this. I mean, I knew I was moving here, but I had no idea what that meant clearly as I even got here and have gone through tons of change. But I did know this. I knew who was on the other side of them. And I knew God was inviting me to step. And as simple and as lonely even in many ways, as unceremonious as that whole moment was, for me, it was a significant moment of feeling God say, I gave you a manna to live on and to enjoy for the last 13 years. Today, I'm taking it away. And you're going to move into a new season. The beauty of a new season. I don't know if you've got a sense of change in front of you, a threshold that God's asking you to step through. But I can promise you this, for all that's uncertain about it, you can be certain who's on the other side of it. We're going to take communion this morning. And here's what I would love you to do. When we celebrate communion together, and some of you are like, wait, we did this last week. It's allowed. We can do it more than once. When we take communion, it is, in many ways, it is the Polaroid of 2,000 years ago. We love pictures. Facebook reminds us all the time of things we've done and moments our kids have grown up trips we've taken. We don't have the convenience of grabbing a phone or an old photo to look back at that moment of what really did happen 2,000 years ago when the God of creation climbed onto a cross because of his affection for you. This is that. It gives us a moment to remember that this juice represents blood that really did flow. And that bread, a body that was really broken and torn because of one reason, the desperate affection that Jesus has for all of creation. And so when we take this, we take it to celebrate him, to worship him, to give thanks to him. But here's what I would also say. Sometimes we can also have unique reasons why we sit in a moment of communion based on just where we're at in life. And so one of the things I would encourage you to do is maybe, here's what we're gonna do. We're we're gonna actually take this together. I know usually we do communion. I say, hey, just you take it when you're ready, but I'm gonna actually ask you not to do that. We're gonna do a song. And then after that song, I'm gonna come back out and we're gonna actually take it together. And during the song, here's what I'd love you to do, is sit in a place with two postures of your heart. One, to say, God, whatever change you have for me, give me the strength and the courage to take the step across that threshold. But here's what I would also say, is if you do have a sense of a change that God's leading you into, is say goodbye to whatever the manna is that you know he's moving you away from. There's a movie I watched years ago, probably a lot of you did too, called The Life of Pi. Can't give you the whole synopsis, but it's basically about a young man that grows into an older man and goes through massive amounts of change, some beautiful, some tragic. He says this at the end of the movie. I suppose in the end, the whole of life becomes an act of letting go. But all, what always hurts the most is not taking a moment to say goodbye. Part of what has been a healthy rhythm of some of the changes that God has led me through in the last number of years is not just to step into the change, but to also say goodbye to what was as I embrace what will be. Father, I pray that you would be celebrated in the next few minutes. I pray that the joy of your love for us would be present to us as we remember your sacrifice. I pray that we would be mindful of the disciples who once felt the massive change of you going to the cross and dying and 
it seemed as if in that moment, everything that they thought you had told them was gonna happen died along with you. And the reality we know is that on the other side of that cross was the resurrection, yours and ultimately theirs and ours. So God, we celebrate you, we worship you, and we ask Jesus that you would give us the courage and the strength to step into whatever change you may be leading us into, to say goodbye where we need to say goodbye, but to embrace the Canaan you call us to. In Jesus' name, amen. distant disillusioned I was lost and insecure still mercy for my attention you were waiting at the door then I let you For my redemption, you carried all the blame. Breaking the curse of our condition, perfection took our place. Could break these chains 
Every time you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. And then he did the same with the cup of wine. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we say thank you for your sacrifice and affection for us. And I would just simply ask that you would continue to help us to grow in our affection for you as we grow in the experience of your affection for us. Take us by the hand, lead us, grow us, teach us to become more and more the men and women that you made us to be. In Christ's name, Christ resurrected, sitting on the throne, coming again one day to make all things new name. Amen. Got a team of people that are gonna be hanging out here up at the front. And we're going to be also some in the lobby uh, at our prayer table that would just love to care on you, just listen to you, pray with you, help you make that transition back into all that the rest of the week is for you. So we're so thankful that you've been with us this morning, and we look forward to seeing you next Sunday and praying you have an amazing couple of days in between. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.